Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 164 of the Freight 360 Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about getting customers in a loose market, in a slow market, in a freight recession, whatever you want to call it, but it's what's 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 going on currently. Um, so that's what we're going to be digging into. And then we got a, a larger Q&A session today. Thanks for everyone for sending your questions. We'll get to them. So, uh, But first, this episode is brought to you by Blue Book Services. Blue Book is the resource you need if you're transporting fresh produce. Their online database contains thousands of companies throughout the produce industry supply chain. You can easily search their database to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit ratings help you avoid companies with a high credit risk, and their team can help resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to ProduceBlueBook.com and click on Join Today. That's ProduceBlueBook.com. We had a good episode last week with them talking about that dispute resolution and produce claims. That was a that was a fun one. Uh, I did. I enjoyed I, it. I learned a lot too. I yeah, mean, it's just the best part of our job. <laughs> Get to do interesting things and learn and grow and develop new skills and learn about new things. Yep. And, um, you know, it's we're, we should always be constant learners. And, you know, whether you've been in the industry for five minutes or for 50 years, there's always something new you can learn from from somebody else or something that changes, whether it's regulation or just industry standards and things like that. So that was fun. I enjoyed it. Hey, I'm going to be down your way this weekend. I'm uh, I'm headed out to uh, to Orlando. Take the take the wife and kiddos to uh, to the Disney parks for a few days this weekend. So I'll be enjoying some nice some warmer weather. It looks like we're hitting mid to upper eighties in in the central Florida area. So yeah, it's pretty nice. Weather's been really nice lately. Uh, I mean, I'll be anxious when it gets a little cooler, but I'm not going to complain. <laughs> Well, quick uh, quick sports recap here. Bills did pull off a nice win against Green Bay. Um, I was at that game, and I believe I said I, I don't like the double-digit spread, and it's a good thing because the Bills, they, they won, and they won by, I think it was 10, but the, the spread that ESPN and everyone else had listed was like 11 or something like that. So they did not cover the spread, but they got the win against Aaron Rodgers and company. Uh, at home in Orchard Park. Steelers, different story. You guys played um, Philly, I think. I mean, they're yeah. undefeated, man. So that's that's a tough one. Um, other news around the league. So like trade deadline was this week. Um, Christian McCaffrey got traded to the San Francisco 49ers. Did you see what he did in his first game with them, Ben? I didn't. So he is – he's like a dual threat, right? So he's running back. He'll take receptions. Um, so he is one of the only players in NFL history to catch, receive and throw a touchdown. So they did like a little trick play where he ended up getting the ball and threw it in. Mm -hmm. Um, he rushed one in and he had a a touchdown, um, as a receiver too. So he had all three, like a little, uh, hat trick there. Um, as a that's awesome as a football player, first game with a new yeah, franchise in too, one so. game. That's pretty wild. And the Steelers traded, I think, Chase Claypool to the Bears. Yeah, there was a lot of moves um, Tuesday, right before the. I think the deadline's at like four o'clock, and the bill, like the Bills, had a had a trade. Naheem Hines, I think I said that right. Um, like four minutes before the deadline, apparently they're on the phone making the trade official. So. 
Uh, yeah, it's always interesting to see people moving around, trying to either dump their quality talent to go into a rebuild phase by acquiring some draft picks for the next year or so. And then others just yep. trying to, um, like in the Bills case, just trying to solidify that offense. Uh, even Miami uh, picked up um, Chubb, the the defensive Chubb, cousin of Nick Chubb. And um, th- so they're trying to beef up their defense and, and hopes to have a good playoff run. So, yeah, just a uh, l- little bit of moves around there. Um, Tom Brady had another loss this week or this past week in NFL. It's like his first time having three straight losses, I think, ever. Oh, great some, news. Some kind of stat like that. But So happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's give a shout out to our friends at DAT and we'll hop into the topic. Yep. Take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a link of a free month of DAT Power Express or Trucker's Edge. Definitely. So um, getting customers in a freight recession. And so this this topic was your suggestion. And what's interesting is I've had this conversation probably three or four times in the last week with brokers in our company. And they're, you know... If you're, you know, whether you're a licensed broker or an agent or you're an employee of a brokerage, if you're not following the macro level things that are going on in the economy and, you know, just the, the global economy, but more specifically, the, the domestic U.S. economy, if you're not paying attention to that. You might not understand why certain things are happening. So I wanted to just kind of give a little bit of a of an explanation. This is the explanation I've given to, to some other folks this past week is when you think about why there was such a boom in freight in the last 12 months or so up until recently, there's a lot of factors, okay? And I simplify it to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on interest rates and inflation and how they impact consumer demand and how that impacts transportation. So when prices are reasonable, and interest rates are low, meaning it's cheaper for it's less expensive for a company to acquire capital or to borrow capital to produce their goods and supplies. There's going to be a lot more production, which then leads to more d- demand for transportation of whatever that product is. Now, you fast forward when interest rates hike up and it costs more money. I want to add one thing to that. Go, go ahead. Too, right? yep. So you got the companies, they can borrow money, which means they got more inventory, they can grow, they can buy equipment, they can buy buildings, all of those things. But you also see it on the residential side of it, which is when interest rates are low, just like we saw during the pandemic, you had historic numbers of people pulling equity out of their house, refinancing their homes. That gave individual consumers more cash on hand to also spend, right? So both sides, you have yeah. individual homeowners and you've got businesses that primarily benefit and grow and expand when interest rates are low. And I'll add to yours, the, uh, you know, the amount of house building, new yep. like new builds because it was cheaper to get a construction loan or something like that. So that all goes into effect. And so the Fed interest rates are not the direct cause of mortgage interest rates, but they tend to follow each other. And that's what we've seen. 
Now, when you fast forward and interest rates have gone up and we've seen inflation, so goods cost more and fuel cost more, uh, it, it it's going to have the opposite effect. So companies are doing um, the opposite of what they were when it was easy to get money or cheap to get money. Uh, it's harder and more expensive to get money now. So they're going to borrow less, produce less, and the, the consumer demand is lower because goods cost more, uh, whether that's from interest rates being higher and the, the cost to produce is higher or uh, you know, fuel prices are higher to transport things. All that happens, right? And that slows down the need to have trucks to transport those goods. So that's just kind of set the stage. And it's good to understand that because- I'll you add can... one thing too go before ahead. we go past that. So during also the pandemic and the market where a lot of brokers have entered this market, right? The other thing you had happening was labor shortage related to COVID, people calling off, not people not being able to staff up, people working from home. So when you had that, you had a limiting supply of all of the goods in the entire world from China all the way around the globe, right? So supply and demand, right? We always think about the demand side, what we're talking about. Companies having money and individuals having money to buy things. That increased. But on the same hand, you had the supply of all goods contracted. It was very hard to buy a new car. Why? Because semiconductors were on short supply around the world because of manufacturing. You had things like the foam that goes into furniture on short supply. So that was backing up auto production and furniture. You had all of these goods that were in less demand and people had more money. So when people have more money, right, and there's less of something, it's moving in both directions the way it shouldn't, which is causing inflation, right? It's not yeah. just the supply of money. It's also the supply of the goods we're trying to buy. Yeah. And so what I'm excited to do in a couple months, you know, we've been doing, we've been bringing Ken Adamo from DATs, the, one of their chief analysts, or like the top analysts there when it comes to the freight market. And obviously we've had Dean Croke on as well to talk about some of the macro level things. I can't wait to talk to Ken and get his take on what the heck happened in 2022 and what do we expect in 2023? Because he's always got a nice, a good input and a good spin on it. Uh, and he was fairly I think he was fairly accurate in his prediction of the, the last two times we talked to him. So yep. it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what he's got to say about the future. But anyway, that's to set the stage. Now, we want to talk about how do you get customers in this type of market? And I want to remind all of you, just it's this is not just a COVID thing or a political thing. There's a market cycle in freight brokerage and transportation as part of the normal way of life, Right economies expand and economies contract. It's not always related to one thing you can point your finger at. Well, here, and I want to, I want to give a brief overview of what that looks like too, for everyone out there is the one thing about the trucking market in our industry is there's a very low barrier to entry, meaning, you know, to start a freight brokerage, it's much lower cost than a lot of other businesses or industries, right? So what happens is when there's a lower barrier to entry to enter a market, more people can enter it and leave it quicker and easier. So that's why the freight market tends to cycle every 16 months or every year and a half pre-pandemic. And we'll likely go back to that now is when rates start to go up, right? Because there's not enough trucks, people leave other industries and go and start to drive trucks or start brokerages. So, you know, and one of those big industries are, you know, blue collar workers in construction. You know, if you're making 85 grand a year working in construction and your cousin is driving a truck and now all of a sudden making $120,000 a year, it makes a lot of sense to maybe go get your CDL, go work with your cousin, go start driving a truck and make more money. 
So you have entrance when you have the market during the pandemic, meaning freight was great, the rates were high, everybody rushed into it, right? So that's what then you get to a point where now there's too many, because at a certain point, you end up with more than you had freight, because the amount of freight isn't changing that quickly based on what people are buying. So yep. everybody rushes in, buys trucks, the, the trucking companies expand, the brokerages expand, and then they expand to a point where there's more of them than there was supply of freight, and then the rates start to come back down. And that is the cycle, right? It's entering and leaving the market of carriers for the most part, not really brokers, because brokers can't really affect the market. Yep, absolutely. Um, and again, that that kind of stuff is going to happen cyclical. I, what I do hope, though, is I hope that some folks learn their lesson that the gold rush doesn't last forever. And if you can't sustain the slower business times, you're not going to be able to sustain yourself long term because there is inevitably going to be downturns economically and in transportation. So um, which brings up the our topic. Right. And we so we've talked to we talked to somebody I think it was yesterday, right? And the guy like started his brokerage this year and he has succeeded in one of the toughest times for a freight broker to start and succeed. And you know, our, our feedback to him was, if you can prosper during the tough times, you are going to do overwhelmingly great when things are good. So so that's why I want to talk about this today is kind of, you know, what can you do to get customers? How can you maintain and build your book of business when times are lower or, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's a tight or a looser, um, looser market, freight recession, whatever you want to call it. And I, I want to point out a couple of things is that you can't just sign up for, you know, get your authority and do all that stuff and just expect, oh, this is going to be so easy. Uh, I'm going to go out there. Customers are going to be begging me to move freight for them and all that stuff. That's just not the way that things work. So there, there's things that you have to do to, to differentiate yourself as a, as a quality and a top tier freight broker to differentiate, differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself from the whole rest of the school of fish. And in my opinion, a lot of that comes down to things like your reliability, your ability to communicate effectively, um, your personality, your, your ability to build relationships with folks, because you might call a customer 10 or 12 times and you don't get any freight out of them because they don't have a need for you. But when that time comes that they do need freight or a carrier falls off a load or a broker falls through on them for whatever reason, they're going to remember when you called them a dozen times and made zero, you know, zero cents off of them as far as profit. Uh, but you were there and you were reliable and you were consistent. So those are some of the, the non-tangible things that I think you, you need to really think about when it comes down to what can I do to build relationships when things are slower? What kind of advice would you give then? Well, and I think I was doing a similar, a few calls this week that were right on the stop. Don't mind the right? fire alarm being tested over there. Yeah, exactly. I was curious how loud that actually was on the other end. I keep muting it when I'm not talking. So I'll try to minimize this as much as possible. Um, it's that people genuinely do want to do business with people they know and like and trust. And by that, like, here's a great example. I was on a coaching call with a group of managers. We I coached their whole company and we were going through characteristics of what you're looking for in a salesperson. And I said, well, let's start by, you know, what are the characteristics of your top salespeople right now? And one of them goes, well, one of those guys just seems to be able to talk to anybody about anything. He's like, in fact, yesterday he's on a call, first call with the shipper and he just gets off the phone, hangs it up and he goes, that's how it's done. And he's like, he's like, closed <laughs> another one. Right. And I'm like, I love that. Like, I love that energy. I used to do that with my buddies. Right. 
And the funny thing was the guy sitting next to him had only been there for you know a month or two and went, what the hell? What do you mean, dude? You were on the phone for 15 minutes talking about nothing but football and this guy onboarded you and gave you a load. You aren't even talking about transportation or fallouts or any issues related to like logistics. And I think that probably drives this point home more than anything else. That's how you get business, to be honest, right? Yep. It's way more about getting them to know you and like you and want to talk to you, right? I was saying, I was using the example today. I'm like, my prospecting calls sometimes are like, or even with my current customers, they're like 90% talking about personal things. Like I would talk to a friend and then like the last five to 10%, maybe I'm talking about the business reason that I called them. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's getting you. That's what's differentiating you. That's what makes you unique. That's why this customer has a relationship with you. Lean on that. Yep. So and I'll, I'll kind of, I oftentimes have gone back to my, I go back to stories about when I first started in sales back in the day and I worked, I worked retail and I worked at uh, Best Buy selling computers and TVs and stuff like that. And I always thought, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk all about the features and all about how great this TV or surround sound system is and all that. And once I got really good at, um, you know, finding solutions for folks and figuring out what was best for them. What I realized is it, it wasn't because, oh, I told them that this TV's 1080p and has four HDMI ports and can support op optical, you know, uh, audio cables and whatnot. It was, I figured out what their life was like, why they wanted a TV, where it was going to go on their house and what they were going to use it for. So when a guy comes in and he's like, uh, you know, I want that one. And I have no idea why. And we start talking about it. It's like, well, I just want the biggest TV because I'm hosting my buddies over for the Super Bowl, you know, coming up next week or whatever. Then I can quickly realize, well, hey, you know, that TV right there based on where you're going to put in your house and what room it's in and how far away you're sitting may not actually be the right TV for you. This one over here can do this, 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 you know. You know, then you can start to talk about some of the features and whatnot. But when you start to have conversations, you learn more so more than just the transactional part. You build relationships. So, and the same thing kind of carries over. And I like I have calls I have with folks all the time, even today. Um, more than fifty percent, typically, of my conversation is not related to the actual situation or issue that's going on. It's life in general, how they're feeling about it. You know you know, what, what they did last weekend, what they're doing this weekend and what they got, they have a kid's sports game this, you know, tonight after work and all, you know, all that stuff, you get into it. And those, those kind of things that they build relationships. And remember for folks that work from home or especially if you're talking to a carrier, right. And they're on the road all day long, you get to have some of that personal connection and personal communication that you, they don't get to have otherwise. So uh, I can't agree with you more when it comes down to just building relationships, being likable, being able to have a conversation with anybody about literally anything that you can speak to, um, that's going to go very far. And those are probably some of the conversations that you're going to have when you talk to a shipper 10 or 12 times in a market where they don't necessarily have a high need or a big demand to set up new brokers within their organization. So sure. um, Go ahead. And, and I'll give you I'll give you a real life example of this. And this happened to me recently. Right. So the situation I was talking about in an episode a week or two ago where customer wanted to get rid of all their brokers. My account was temporarily shut down, looked like they were going to eliminate everybody. And that came down from procurement. Right. The, the people in the company that decide who are their vendors and who aren't. Right. So the interesting thing is. The people that actually send me the loads that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, I've got great rapport with, and they desperately still need to work with me as a broker for all the reasons we talk about. 
We're way more reliable. Our service is higher. They can reach me at any point in time, and I just will find a way to make sure their cargo gets where it needs to be, no matter what, right? So we've got this person saying, advocating, saying, we need to work with BTB. We need to work with Ben. We want this broker. You got procurement going, sorry, policy is going to be no brokerage for the rest of the year until, you know, the needs hire whatever reason. They're trying to cut costs. That's procurement's job. They don't necessarily care about service sometimes. Like they care about budgets and how they get reported and, you know, how they get better at their job and promoted is by managing costs. So like it's not uncommon for these two people to be at odds, you know, within your customer or your prospect and you need them both on board. So in this example, right, one guy in procurement wants to shut us off. Now, the other guy in procurement who I've got a relationship with, right, like I've talked to this guy, like he's actually my friend a year, year and a half ago when I meet him, right? So the first time I talked to him, I'd say, again, 90% of my first conversation with this guy, he happened to be painting his house and was building his house. And that's what we talked about because I used to work in construction. My dad was a painter. We talked about the kind of paint you buy, what you're going to do, what tools he needed, everything. And it was a genuine like conversation, right? Maybe five to 10 minutes on what I needed to process to get the onboarding and all that done, right? So that's the beginning of the relationship. So fast forward, right, to the situation I find myself in two weeks ago. Well, I call him and immediately, where do you think the conversation went? Was I talking about the fact that we were shut off or that I needed business? Hey, no. how's the house? How's the house? How's it coming? Did you get it finished? What do you got left? Okay, we're talking about that. Now, and again, it's because I genuinely care. It's not like I'm making this stuff up. Like I wanted to know. So we talked about it, right? We talked a little bit more about family stuff. We talked about Halloween coming up and kids and that. So, you know, a good bulk of this conversation, 10, 15 minutes talking just the way you and I talk, right? Catching up, haven't talked to you in a while because we genuinely like talking to each other, right? We're done with that. Three minutes and the rest of the problem solved. The customer's back on, we're approved. They sent emails while I'm on the phone with them to everybody in the, the department and the rest of the company and everything's fixed and everything's moving forward again, right? Yep. None of that had to do with in any way really me talking about the service. I mean, they're kind of implied and I'm sure I've done enough work with the people I work with to make sure that information is well known, but I'm not bragging, I'm not making it obvious. I'm just basically kind of calling a friend to help me solve a problem. And that's exactly what happens. And yeah. that's the kind of relationships you're trying to have. If you don't have one with your customer, when rates shift and it gets easier for them to find trucks, you're the first people that they're going to cut because they have no reason to keep you. If yep. they can find trucks without you at better rates and still maintain their service level, they're not going to pay more money just because they had been using you for the past year and a half or two years. Yeah, there's a difference between needing to work with you and wanting to work with you. So now let, let's look at the situation of you have your customer book a business, things are going good, but it gets slower. And this could be the freight recession, or maybe you're approaching the end of their peak season and they're, and they're going into, if it's, you know, if it's a seasonal type of commodity, they get to that slower part and you're starting to feel it and you're, you're used to doing great, killing it, and it starts to tail off and you're like, oh no, well, Look at this as an opportunity. This is a great time for you to get back on the phones and really start to prospect and dig into either competitors of your existing customers, suppliers of your existing customers, or maybe you want to dip your toes into a new area of the market, a new niche, a new commodity, a new equipment type, some other specialty that you haven't done before. This is a great opportunity for you to start to do that while you have a little bit more free time. 
Okay. I want to. I want to also point out something, and I was thinking about this a lot as we've been doing a lot of exactly what you're talking about, working with clients, talking with people, dealing with this in our day to day businesses and brokerage. Is all of our content, by the way, for our audience out there, was designed from a market that exists now. So literally, when we talk about the amount of calls you should be making per day and per week, and the amount of time it should take to get a customer, that was not based on the pandemic. That was based on like a 2016, 2017 market, 2019 market, right? Now, I think everybody was so used to one call closing or two or three calls and the shipper just needing so much help that they're getting onboarded that they thought that was the norm. That was never the norm. You know, the pandemic was like a unicorn period for brokerages and carriers where you saw rates that were obscene. And I think got a lot of brokers into bad habits. It got carriers into bad habits. They let their expenses go up, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think people weren't prospecting as much as they should have. Because again, money's flowing in, all's right in the world. Like I got customers, I don't really got to do much more. I'm making more than I ever have. And you and I had been, you know, beating the same drum going, if you're not prospecting, it is inevitable you will eventually lose customers because it's a cyclical market. It's a circle. If it's not here, it will be there, right? If the market is tight, meaning it's hard to find a truck right now, it'll eventually get loose because more carriers enter markets when it's profitable. And I'll add to that. It's not even necessarily always losing a customer. It could just be that they have enough brokers that they don't need to use you all the time or they just right. have less freight to move so everybody gets a lower piece a, a smaller slice of the cake absolutely so, um and so whether you full, like flat out lose a customer or you know they're in in between seasons or their overall shipment volume is down it opens up time in your day and then you shouldn't freak out about that you should expect like set your expectation say this is going to happen and when that happens i am going to be spending that time building relationships, learning about the market, learning about new commodities, trying to expand on the customer base that I do have now that I have the time to spend doing that. So, so let's go through some actionable, some yeah. actionable things I think that people can do, right? Is one, I mean, you really want to look at prospecting like you're going out to make friends. And I know that sounds cheesy. I know people are going to say like, oh, that's fluffy. But the reality is like the best salespeople, that's the way they approach this whether they're selling cars, insurance, real estate, commercial real estate, or freight services, right? It's genuinely going out there trying to establish relationships first and foremost, right? So how do you do that? It's not going in and talking about yourself, right? It's going in and trying to talk with them the same way you would if you were just introduced to someone else's friend. Like, hey, this is my buddy, Jim. I want to introduce you, Nate. You're not going to start by, like, you're going to start by breaking the ice, And all that really is, is I don't want to go into too much, but breaking the ice and that small talk about weather or sports or these things, right? Like that's how human beings for thousands of years have determined whether the person they're speaking to is a threat or holds the same values as they do, right? That's the whole point of that. It's this little verbal dance where we're trying to determine, does this person view the world the same way I do or similar to me? Do they have the same things important to them? Do they care about family? Do they care about ethics? Are they going to be doing the right thing even when it's difficult, right? Like that's what you're trying to determine in that very back and forth, right? And that's why sports is such a great way to do that on some ways, right? Because it's something people are passionate about. They can talk about, you can bond, you can get them comfortable. That's what's bringing that guard down and bringing them to a place where they feel comfortable enough 
to even tell you the truth to begin with, right? Yeah. And so I'll, I'll elaborate on this before we wrap up the topic, but um, take any bit of knowledge that you have with the prospect and lean in on that for starters, right? If you know, because you're connected on LinkedIn that like to the sports point, you know that they live in, I don't know, Miami. So maybe they're a Dolphins fan, right? Or they live in Dallas. So they're probably a Cowboys fan, like 40% of the U.S. is apparently. Um, Or like I think about like I've had really good sales experiences that I've had when I'm the customer. I think about like um, when we moved into our our house that we're in now over the summertime, we had to upgrade the the security system and the panel and some of the sensors. And they came in and the guy was awesome. The, the like account rep or sales manager. And he could see like, you know, we had kids and he's asking about how, how's the family doing? How are the kids like in the new place? Like, you know, we're not talking about the cost that it is every month or mm-hmm. he's not trying to upsell me anything. We haven't talked about any of that at all. Yeah. He's building a rapport and relationship with us. And Regardless, you know, and I know like a salesperson is going to do that, but it doesn't matter to me because I enjoy, I, I know if I'm going to buy something, I'm going to go through some kind of sales process, but I'd yes. rather have it be enjoyable. So, so to that same a- point, right? I, the guy who I, I bought my first car from in Florida, I've now bought six cars from in, in like seven years, like five. And it's like, why? Because I know and trust him. I don't have to worry about whether or not he's telling me the truth. I know that like the service I'll get on the vehicle is good. I know that my price is going to be fair. Yeah, maybe it's not the best price I could get if I went to dealership to dealership and negotiate them against each other, but I get something far more important, a better buying experience. And it's a better experience owning the thing that I'm buying right over the long term. So when things have happened with vehicles, I know that person, I can call them and they'll help me work through whatever it is, right? And it's just like you're saying, into the security system, this guy probably at the end of it, I know if that was me, I'm going, you tell me what you think I need. And I'm I'm probably going to be okay with it at that point. I don't know security. I don't want to learn everything about security. I want to tell this guy what I'm trying to do, what problem I'm trying to solve, and you tell me the best fit, right? And if I trust you, I'm okay with you offering whatever that is, right? But if, and again, we relate this to brokerage, right? If that car dealer or if that security account rep, if they don't establish that rapport and and if they're not a likable person and they just come out with pricing and drilling you with stuff, you're you don't want to hear about it. Even if you oh. know it might be the right the right solution for you, you don't even want to hear about it because you're like, I don't I don't I feel like I have to take a shower after talking to this guy. It feels yes. like you know, sleazy, but so you need to be that sales rep as a broker when you're prospecting. Okay. It's not, don't expect to get a load every time you call a new customer, just plant seeds, build rapport, make yourself memorable. Cause they're going to remember how you feel versus what you say. Don't forget that part of it. And just, you know, have little benchmarks, little progress, every single call you have. And some, and some easy tips to remember, right? So if it's in the beginning of the week, I'm always trying to ask about last weekend. If it's at the end of the week, I'm trying to get them to talk about the next weekend, right? If it's in the middle of the week, I might try to get them to talk about what they're doing after work. If they're stressed, I'm trying to get them to just talk to me about what's bothering them or what's upsetting them to try to get them to vent to me, right? I'm just yep. trying to get them talking. And another great tip is the weather is great, especially if it's going into winter. Like if there's big storms coming in, people always want to complain just to talk <laughs> about the weather, right? Oh, snow's coming and it's terrible, right? 
Holidays are another easy one, right? Hey, how was your Halloween this week? What did the kids dress up as? Do you get any trick-or-treaters? Do you guys do that in your area, right? Just using things that are already available to get them talking. Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas shopping. Hey, did you start on your Christmas shopping yet? Oh, I know I'm starting to see Christmas trees for sale, right? Oh, do they ever start selling them in October? Or when I was a kid, they didn't start selling them until November, right? Older people like will jump right into that. Oh yeah. And it's like when you can get them to commiserate or talk about anything, that guard comes right down and then they start being honest and you can actually get somewhere in the sales call. So I have a totally unrelated point I want to make here. When did Christmas come? Like when did the prep for Christmas starts early? I was literally, so I was last minute on my Halloween candy this year. So it's Halloween at like two or three in the afternoon. I had a little bit of downtime at work. So I was like, I got to run to the store real quick and get candy because trick-or-treating starts at like six or five or whatever it was. And I go there, I go to Target. They're already ripping down all the Halloween shelves and they're throwing up Christmas stuff. And I was like, Halloween, they just, it, it's already passed and it hasn't even happened yet. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, what about Thanksgiving? No respect. Come on. So but- funny. Like I just listened to a, a breakdown on why that has happened last night, actually. That other show I listened to a lot, My First Million, that podcast, they did a breakdown on how Halloween has expanded from like, it used to be like 1 billion a year. Now it's at like 10 billion. And they talked about how all of the companies and their advertising budgets are really why that has happened, right? Um, That and social media, you know, social media is allowing people to post pictures. So costumes have gotten way more prevalent, adults more so. And retailers needed some way to figure out how to make money before Christmas, because usually the fall, nobody really bought anything. So it was yeah, another was, reason to get people in the cell. I was seeing like Halloween decorations in like literally August at like Lowe's and you know, all, the other, all the other big yep. stores. So, but yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff. We got a good Q&A uh, section here today too. But first, shout out to our friends at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www.leangroup.com. Like I, I, I said this to somebody the other day, you and I, we're, we drink the Kool-Aid, man. We practice what we preach. So we, we do personally use Lean. We do personally use DAT. We do, I personally use Blue Book. I, don't, I know you're not big on produce, but these are the folks that we are trusted partners with are people that we, we truly value their, their products and services. So make sure you check those guys out. All right. Four questions today. First one, what are some tips on getting large versus midsize versus small shippers? Um, well, I think the, the obvious here, well, maybe it's not so obvious. The size of the company is, it's going to result in having different needs and different ways of operating. So a very small shipper is going to have less freight to move, less need to move, um, you know, a lot of load. So they, they might not need a broker. And if they do, it's not going to be as often. Whereas a large shipper, they might be on a huge bid cycle where everybody has to apply to, you know, be invited to their bid. And you've got to go through this, this huge onboarding process. And in the middle, the midsize are somewhere in between. You know, those are kind of the sweet spot, in my opinion, for brokers is that those midsize companies. Um, but I think the tips are, Put yourself in the shoes of the person that needs to get a truck, and that should answer the majority of the questions for you. If I'm only moving two loads a week, do I have a need for 10 freight brokers? No. If I have 
500 loads a week, do I have a need for brokers? Yes, I definitely do. But with that much freight, I'm probably going to try to access as much of the market as possible, go through a bid cycle, get my cost down and low, and midsize somewhere in the middle. What, what else would you add on that? Yeah, I'd say like your expectations as it relates to the time frame. Your larger companies expect it to be honestly years, like one to two years, maybe, maybe even three, right? Somebody in our group just closed, you know, a very, very large, um, we'll say manufacturer in the US, right? One of the larger companies in the US. And he said, you know, it took about two and a half years. Um, yep. But again, it's because they usually only open the window or the door once a year to onboard anybody. And you've got to be in their ear, building value, being in front, top of mind, consistently enough over that year that even if you don't get in the first year, the second year, if you're still consistent, like they're going to go, Hey, you know what? You have been consistent. I appreciate it. We'll give you an opportunity this year. And yeah. that's usually the way they play. It's usually a year to two years, mid-size yeah. six months to a year, smaller. I'd say you're probably one to three months. Um, yeah. And your sales process should be in line with that expectation, right? You don't want to go into a big size company and asking them every single question in one call. And then you've got nowhere to go when you call them back in 45 days. Like be cognizant of not basically going through everything you have to talk about in every single call. I will add to that. Um, the like, yes, you can get a, a solid customer in a month. Um, you can also, in some people's eyes, get a customer day one, because if you call one of these like big building material, like lumber stone companies, they'll be happy to throw you on their, their email distribution list and send you, you know, you and 30 other brokers, there are two loads that have to get moved today or the 10 yep. have to get moved, whatever it is. And some people are like, oh, I got my first customer. It's like, well, sure. But are you, you know, don't spend all your time working on that kind of customer's freight. So that's just a little caveat there because very, very rarely are you going to actually move a load. And if you do, you might make 50 bucks or a hundred bucks if you're lucky. So um, next question, what are some tips on finding good carriers other than posting on load boards? So um, I personally like to use some of the third-party tools. So, I mean, if you work at a company that has a TMS with data, um, go ahead and look at your historical data on who's run those lanes. But if you don't, I personally, and they're not a, a sponsor of the show by any means, but um, used to be called Carrier List. It's called Highway now. Uh, we've yep. had Kevin Hill on the show before. He was one of the folks that was involved in, in making that what it is today. It's a great tool where you can throw in a, a lane, so origin, destination, equipment type, and it'll tell you carriers that are probably a good match for that lane based on, you know, what they've identified as preferred lanes, where they've been inspected historically. That's a really cool one. You can literally see on a map where their trucks have had uh, DOT roadside inspections um, and also where they're based out of. So if it's a, you know, if you're looking for a backhaul, you probably want to find a carrier that runs that lane, but is domiciled at your destination. So that's one of the tools that I like using. There's a, there's a handful of them out there. And a lot of companies, the larger brokerages are trying to make their proprietary versions. Um, but if you can cover one or two extra loads a month by using a tool and it covers the cost of it, it is well worth paying for that tool. That's, that's my take on it. What do you got? 
Yeah, similar. I mean, there's a function in DAT that allows you to sort carriers as well. Um, the DAT directory, yep. Yep, DAT directory I use. Your own, your previous carriers and your TMS. Um, I mean, you can go, I, I mean, I've used Google. It depends on, I mean, just looking for trucking companies in a very difficult lane in the middle of nowhere. I mean, just, you know, putting in, you know, trucking companies and that zip code and seeing what comes up in Google I've used. I mean, you're really just looking for a way to compile the numbers to start with. And I use the same products. Parade is another one. Parade, Highway, um, and DAT directory for the most part. And at the end of the day, when you're brand new, you are going to have to rely heavily on load boards. That's just the reality yes. of the matter because you don't have a carrier network yet. So you, everyone's mm -hmm. got to start somewhere. But I, I like the, that's a good question though, because they're thinking the right way. All right. Um, next question. Is it a good strategy to post my load on multiple load boards? Yes. Um, yes. But I will give a caveat there. If you are moving a, like, a certain type of freight, don't post on a load board that is not known to have carriers that haul that. So like if you're hauling a full truck load, don't put it in selectus. Don't, yeah, don't put it on a hotshot load board or don't put it on a bulk load, like bulk loads load board. Um, but like, you know, the, the big ones out there, uh, DAT truck stop, those are kind of the two big ones. Um, Post everywhere is like an, a load board aggregate where they've got like 50 or something smaller boards that they post out to. Absolutely. I always say the more, the better, but there's a cost associated with it. So most folks are going with one load board when they're new as a broker. Um, and again, check out the episode notes or the YouTube description box and uh, the affiliates link. You'll see DAT's got a um, free month if you, if you do it through us. So but yeah, the more, the more, the merrier. Last question. What is most effective cold calling or cold emailing? Well, effective and efficient are two different things. So I'd say cold calling is more effective. Yes. Cold emailing is more efficient, but it doesn't always give you the results. It, you're going to get your best results out of picking up the phone and making a phone call. You'll get, you'll get some customers cold emailing in the market during the pandemic. You are very unlikely to ever get a customer in a loose market by sending emails without a phone call. Very, the only, very. Yeah. The only way you're going to get a customer via email um, in a market like right now is if you just happen to get the random company that no one really knows about. And, you know, they're not getting prospected by a bunch of people because they don't have a big web presence or something like that. Uh, but don't rely on that. Don't expect you to hit the lottery by just sending yeah. out cold emails. And I promise you, you're not the first company to go, well, I could send out thousands of these every day. So eventually I'm going to randomly, but guess what? So can everybody else. So can think every other brokerage. How, think about as humans, email's been around quite a while now. Think about how trained we are to not even have to open the email but just know, I don't know who that is. Delete. Yep. yep. I do it every single day. Every Easier to delete day. than read. Yep. So, but if I get a phone call and it's a number I don't recognize, I'm more likely to answer that phone call than I am to open an email from someone that I don't recognize. So, absolutely. Yeah, definitely call. But you can sprinkle an emailing as a secondary form of communication with your prospects for follow ups, quick communication, sending relevant information, quotes, and all that stuff. So 
because email is efficient, but it's not a very effective way to build rapport with somebody out the gate. So good stuff. Absolutely, man. What? Oh, well, week, uh, what are we at? Week nine for football. I got to see. I know the Bills are playing the Jets. Not worried about that one. Although New England or New York Jets are like second in the division, I think, right now. Um, <clears throat> Bills got like a 14 point spread. I still don't know. I would take, I hate double digit spreads because you never know. It could come down to like a, it's true. 10 point game and you get like, you got second string players playing third string, you know, who knows? Yep. Um, what about Steelers uh, got a bye week? I think. Oh, I'll say who's yeah, they're on a bye. Okay. I need we'll see what kind of good games we got this week here. Uh, eh, nothing too crazy. Oh, Rams and Tampa Bay. I like that one. Tampa Bay's got. I mean they they gotta they gotta pull off something to if they want a chance at um, you know making the playoffs. And I think they're they're yeah they're three point favorites over the Rams. Um, both teams only have three wins each. Rams are three and four. Bucks are three and five. Hmm. I'm taking the Bucks on that game. Straight up, not not taking any spread. But I, that's my pick for the week is Tampa Bay. To win it, because Tom Brady, man, between having three straight losses, well, I guess losing his family, or if you want to include his wife, um, yeah, uh, too soon. But that's all I got. What do you got going on for the weekend, Ben? I I already told you I'm going to going to be down in your neck of the woods. Not much, man. Finishing up the move, getting everything situated, getting all the stuff we need to put on the walls, and finishing all that stuff. I still haven't done that. I mean, I did my basement because that was important. And we did like our living room and our kitchen, but like bedrooms, nothing's on the walls. Yeah. Uh, bathrooms, nothing's on the walls, but got the essentials. So, yep. stuff, man, um, sounds like the fire alarm testing is all. That it is. Yeah, absolutely, man. So any of you that heard the fire alarm, don't worry. Ben's not on fire right now. We're Just all good. Good stuff. Any, uh, any closing thoughts here, man? Yeah. If you're looking for a new home for your agency, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to me at info at freight360.net or at Benjamin at ShipBTB. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.